Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Design B&B is looking for a senior project manager in Chicago, Illinois. iShares by BlackRock is looking for a user experience designer in New York City. The Poetic Justice Group at MIT Media Lab is looking for a back-end developer with Python experience in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and they're open to remote candidates. And Lautman, Mosca, Neal & Company is looking for a graphic production artist in Washington, D.C. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path podcast a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Now, before we get into this week's interview, you already know it's that time of year again. It's our audience survey. For those of you that have already taken the survey and given us your feedback, we really, really appreciate it. We look at that survey as a way to kind of get a bead on where our audience is with the show, what they want to see from us, what we can improve, what we can get rid of. So it's really important if you've been listening to this show for any period of time and you want to give your feedback, the survey is the best way to do it. And it's anonymous, so you don't even have to leave your name or anything. Actually, I don't even think we ask for your name. But anyway, if you want to take the survey, it's going to be open until midnight on May 31st. You can go to revisionpath.com forward slash survey to take that. We'll also put a link to it in the show notes. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. So what are you waiting for? Just go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Alexandria Bachelor, illustrator, creative director, and CEO of Foxy Design in Brooklyn, New York. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, everyone. My name is Alexandria Bachelor, aka Foxy Design. I am currently the CEO and creative director of Foxy Design, uh, completely self-employed right now. And I am a designer, but I specialize in branding, illustration and comic production specifically. So that's me in a nutshell. How is the year going for you so far? It's going really well, actually. Lots of good projects are coming in. I've actually started subcontracting. That's where I've started leveling up, where I have acknowledged that I can't do it all by myself. And one of my mentors taught me that. He kind of taught or ingrained this mentality of looking out for your community and your network and taking on all the talented people that you know and spreading the wealth. Because I am tired. <laughs> so this year I am focusing on self-care. And that's why I bring in like, oh, you have some time? All right, I got two two projects for you here. And I got this much money. And I got this for you and this for you. So that's kind of how I started managing my business this year. And it's it's already working quite well. So good start so far. That's a great start so far. I'm telling you, and for people that are out there listening that might be running one-person shops, the minute that you get into subcontracting, you will feel like you have unlocked the cheat code 
Like, wait a minute. I oh can, my God, totally I can do it. this self-employment thing. <laughs> Once you build like that I network or that collective, you're like, oh, I got yeah. this. Yeah. Oh. Nope, because you cannot just do it alone. That's not sustainable. Not if you want to be happy <laughs> and uh, be a real person, because I, I like reality. Let's right. stay rooted in it. <laughs> well, and also mm. with, with subcontracting, it can also help you to even just expand your services. Like if, if there's yes. a, something that a client may want that you know someone in your network has the capacity to handle, exactly, it, it just kind of makes you appear more well-rounded. So good for you. That's good. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to continue to build. Like, I just actually recruited one of my old design confidants from college, as well as one of my old interns, who are both my friends still, uh, to be my right and my left hand for my company. So that was a big move where I'm like, I told one of them, I'm like, you're my successor. I'm like, the other one's like just stepping up to the plate. So it's just really nice to have people I really trust my business with and I could only like be thrilled to imagine how they could would run my company one day when I have to go expand to new horizons still that's... come back to Foxy because that's where my heart is so. <laughs> that's amazing so I guess with that like do you have any any plans for the summer yes I'm going on vacation I don't <laughs> vacation often so yes I I uh, actually summer well, starting off with my birthday, my birthday's next month, May Babies, Tauruses, any Tauruses in the house. <laughs> I'm going to Alabama because we were talking about, you were talking about the South, but my family's from Alabama and I'm visiting my grandma for my birthday. So, oh, nice. and we're going to hang out in Atlanta for a bit. So that's going to be really fun. And then in June, I'm spending the month in California because I'm also going to be speaking at VidCon, which is exciting. But oh. most of it, I'm going to be relaxing. But yes, I'll have my first major speaking engagement like in person. I'm, I don't think I'm nervous yet, but as we get closer, I'm going to be a, a ball of nerves. You'll be fine. I think, you know, VidCon yeah. is is one of those conferences that, I mean, everyone's going to have a camera, of course. It's a video conference, oh, VidCon, but you'll be fine. I think there's enough energy at okay. that kind of event where everyone wants to see you do well. That's true. That's true. It'll be yeah. good vibes. If, as long as there are good vibes, I'll thrive. Okay. I'm curious, where in Alabama will you be visiting? Nobody knows where this is, so I, I'll be surprised if you know. It's called Elba, Elba, Alabama, in Coffee okay. County. Okay. Yes. I, too, am from Alabama. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm, oh from, I'm from Selma uh, in Dallas County. I've heard of Elba, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're the first person who's ever heard of where my family's from. That's amazing. <laughs> People will, wow. will, will come to me and name, like, random cities in Alabama, like like Utah yeah. or or Boaz or something. I was like, yeah, yeah, I heard of that. Like, really? I'm like, yeah. I'm, I grew up in Selma from Alabama, South Central Alabama. So, yeah. Nice. Alabama in the summer is hot. Don't <laughs> be brutal. Yeah, I don't know. What I, well, May, so that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Any, but she, my grandma wants us back later in the summer in August, so I think I might die. So I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, August in Alabama is is brutal. But I mean, the the thing about you know visiting small towns in Alabama like that is it just strips everything away like mm, technology true. wi-fi cable i mean nope. selma is not a a big city and even like if right. i when i go back home to visit my mom like she's got cable and she has internet but like it's not it's not the cable and internet i have at home but it just yeah. in terms of like the entire environment it just kind of strips everything away and kind of forces you to be still for a while nice. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for to unplug, like kind of re reconvene with nature. My grandma's got this cute little vegetable garden that I want to see and like just kind of learn about the land because we own land too. So oh, it's, okay. kind of, it's low key. Yeah, it's low key our inheritance eventually. So I just want to like get back to my roots and what better time to do it than for my birthday. So I'm really excited. Nice, nice. Let's talk about Foxy Design. I know you've been freelancing for sure, sure. a long time now, but uh, but tell the people more about Foxy Design. 
Foxy design, I wanted to figure out a nice alias that really represented me. And it kind of started, we started branding ourselves in college, but everybody was kind of doing like, not, the no shade to people who just use their name. You know, like that's a, a very legitimate brand because your name actually holds a lot of meaning. I'm I'm big into name etymology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love learning the, the meaning behind everything. But I just wanted something more than just like A and B. And I just realized my hair became a really big signifier and symbol in my life because I used to have chemically straightened hair up until I was like 18. So right when I was in college, I did a big chop and I went natural. And that was the first time I had had natural hair in my life. And so that's why the hair kind of became a big thing. And I have like a beauty mark, like the Marilyn Monroe beauty mark and like the lips. And I'm like, hmm, you know what? Maybe this is like the visual I want to represent my brand. And then Foxy, the name kind of came about because I actually was, it's from Foxy Brown, the Pam Greer movie from the 70s. -hmm. But I learned about that from Quentin Tarantino's iteration of it, Jackie Brown. And I was Pam Greer again. And I was like, oh, I'm in love with this movie. It was my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. And it just really resonated with me. So I was like, well, this character is so cool because she's kind of recontextualizing like black female sexuality. And she's kind of making the woman like a very like the black woman, a very powerful forced to be reckoned with in Hollywood. And I'm like, I want to do that in the design industry. This was before Where Are the Black Designers, which we were just talking about too, where I'm just like, I just want to be myself and be like this very strong Black woman without any consequence and have it resonate with my work. It doesn't always need to be about my work, but it's always rooted in it because it's a part of me. So that's why it kind of was a little sexy. And and at times I would I would ask my friends, I'm like, is should I have done something a little more like palatable? But I just kind of leaned into it and just kind of I really want to embody this persona where where I like if you see me I'm very like naturalista like tomboyy but I can have those moments where I step out so it feels like an alter ego to an extent as well but I like stepping into this alter ego because I'm this authority in like the brand space and the design space and the illustration space and I know get to like know what I'm talking about and feel really empowered behind the knowledge that I've accrued over time. And that's kind of like how Foxy came about and the meaning behind my whole business. I love that. I love that there's so much intention behind it. Yes. Always have intention behind the work I do. Now you specialize in, you mentioned graphic design, you mentioned illustration Mm -hmm. or comics and branding. What specifically Mm -hmm. drew you to branding? I've been finding, I'd say probably on the show within the past year or so, a lot more designers getting into branding, but what draws you to it? I look at branding as storytelling. Uh, I realize like illustration, comics, and branding are all storytelling mediums for me that are my favorite mediums. I also write a little bit. So I've, and my mom is a writer, so I have that in my blood. Uh, So I really like, there's something about branding that I feel like can be missed where You just think it's a logo, but it's much more than that. You're telling like someone's story. And so I think it's more of like the owner. You go back to the owner, you find out even more about the business. And that actually influences a lot of color, like decisions like what colors, like is this based on your favorite colors? Did Is this just tied to how that color represents the specialty that we're trying to brand? What is this interest, this hobby? Did you like skiing? Is that why you wanted to make something related to skiing? So I think brands always go back to the the first person who came with that idea. And I love learning about people and understanding the intention behind all of the things that we are drawn to. So that's why I really like branding because it's kind of like decoding and getting to know someone. It's kind of personal because I know recent years, people are trying to separate the personal brand and the business brand. I actually think it can be both. Like it's one logo, one brand can, I believe, represent both personal and business. That's how I do. I don't have a separate page. It's all one. I am a person. I am my business, but I can also be just the person. I can just be the business. I can be like, okay, I'm taking a a mental health day and I go to the spa, you know? So I feel like when you try to split, it kind of, it's hard to navigate. 
So I love creating like this space where you can feel like your work isn't necessarily your life, but it is an important part of your life and it can still be a representation of you, your will, your passion. So that's why I love branding. I love that. That's a great, great way to put it. I see now kind of branding and storytelling and it's something I've definitely seen with, uh, a lot of small companies are trying to get into it, or I, I think they're trying to get into branding because they're starting to see it now as more than just a logo. They'll think, oh, they'll come to a designer, right. I need a logo. But the logo yep. should hopefully tell the story of your business or why you're doing your business right. or something. Like it's not just something generic that you just slap together and say, this is what my my business is. It's this logo. right. right. And it's papyrus type. And I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm literally always walking around like, I, I don't like that. I love that. That And my dad's like, stop working. I'm like, I can't help it, dad. The whole world is designed. <laughs> oh, man. Talk to me about like how you approach a new project that like comes into Foxy Design. I'm a big process person, like process junkie over here. I love how you got from point A to point B. And I I learned that a lot of clients and even designers are only about the final product. Like when I was kind of getting introduced to this culture of design, I would notice that designers would kind of hoard their designs until they were ready to share it and it would be more finalized. And clients would just be like, I don't get what this concept is. Just give me like the final product. And so at, this was in college, I, I reached this theory. I was like, I think there's a gap in understanding because actually my college major, it's not graphic de- design, it's communication design. So mm-hmm. I quite literally can design communication. And I realized there was a gap in communication between the designer and the client. So I made it my process very transparent. I start with a sketch. I'll give a couple rounds of sketches and I'll share it with the client. I'm like, what do you think? This isn't obviously what it's going to look like in the final like stage, but these are just some ideas to get from point A to point B. You like this? What do you like about that? What do you like about this? We can combine those ideas, see if they work. I can tell you why they might not work. Let's try this instead. So you, when you bring the client in and involve them, you just get a much more successful design. And I've just had... Honestly, I mean, I've definitely like had projects that have fallen through. Obviously, we were no one's perfect. But when the projects really go to the finish line, I've always had very high like success rates. People are like, I didn't even know this is what I wanted. And I'm like, exactly, because the client always wants to be like, hey, I trust you. Just do whatever you want. I'm like, no, this is your business. You have to do you have to do work, too. So I give them homework. I'm like, fill out this brand brief, answer all these questions. And some people are like, I never thought to answer all these questions about my business. And I'm like, well, you've got to think about some extra stuff before maybe we even start your logo or your, because I always start with the logo if mm-hmm. we're doing a big brand project, because that's like, it's an easy starting point, but there's way more to that, especially like if you want to be a musician or if you want to be on YouTube, there's a lot of other deliverables that go around the logo. I'll give you colors and typefaces to work with, even if that's what you leave me with. But there's always more than just a logo. But yes, I make my clients work just as hard as me. And that's why I think I work really well with people. And now they appreciate the process. They'll always walk away like, I learned something about Mm -hmm. design today. And I'm like, that's amazing. So I've got teaching in my blood. And I think that's a good way to approach it. You know, back when I started my studio, which was Jeez, what what year is this? Twenty twenty two. Back when I started my studio in the olden days of the internet. No, I'm kidding. But back in like two thousand, like the late two thousands or so, there was this really big push, and maybe it's still this way now. I don't know. But like, mm. there was almost this dichotomy that was set up between designers slash entrepreneurs and clients, where like the designer is always right and the client is always wrong. And there was this whole thing about right. clients from hell, Ugh, clients from hell. Yeah, and I remember that, that blog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's not to say that they don't exist. They do exist. But also I think it's up to the designer to vet the people that are coming in. Absolutely. And I think if you're doing a good job of that and they know that you're educating them along with doing the work that you don't run into many clients from hell after a while. Like they know to kind of stay away, but yeah. that education portion exactly. is, is super important, you know, cause 
I mean, I think clients want to know sort of what they're paying for. Of course, they're not just paying for hopefully right. a set of hands. You know, they want someone that can right. sort of illustrate, especially if it's for their business and its brand. I would hope that they would want to be involved in it. Me too. Yeah. Although, because someone, I can't remember who, but there was like four types of clients. You have the smart, involved client. You have the smart, lazy client. You have the sorry to say dumb, but the dumb involved client and the dumb and lazy client. Mm -hmm. And I think the worst one they said was the dumb involved one because they want to be all up in your business, but like aren't listening or anything. But it's interesting that there are types of clients out there, but you have to know how to deal with them. So if you want, if someone is more of like the more uneducated one who wants to be involved, that's great. You shouldn't see that as like a loss. You should be like, no, this is a learning moment. Like you want to be involved, but you're not listening to me and I'm the authority you paid for this. And like, also sometimes that's where I kind of take an L. If you don't want to listen to me, then we'll go with what you want. And it might not be the right decision, but because you're so you don't want to listen to the like the specialist that you hired, then we'll just go and do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So I think as I got older, I started to be less precious with my work because yes, I'm here to guide you. I'm here to be like a salesperson. I'm here to persuade you. But sometimes if they just don't want to listen, then that's fine. I paid you to do what you want me to do. And that's that. And I think a lot of younger designers get really hell bent on like, well, they're not doing this, they're not doing it. I'm like, yeah, I know that stinks, but put all that energy in your own work then, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, design at the end of the day, for what it's worth, especially as an entrepreneur, it's it's a service industry. So you are serving exactly. the client in that way. And honestly, just because you did the work doesn't mean you have to put it on your portfolio. There's a lot of exactly. work that I've done for horrible clients that will never see the light of day for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I'll, I'll do, I'll put the, right. I I get you there. Or I'll put the one that they should have picked in my portfolio. I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is the nice version that we just left from ground zero. And it's a dream, but this is the reality it should have been. So I I get that. So you meant, you mentioned earlier about, you know, subcontracting and having people as your left and right hand. What does a a typical Mm -hmm. day look like for you? Oh my goodness. I'm in like a, a decompression mode right now. So it's a little different. Sometimes I'll be gaming all day while also working. So I balance it out, which is kind of hilarious. Nice. But other days, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I have my, I'm a Switch girl. So I'll be playing like, I'm playing the new Kirby game. Nobody's mm. paying me to promote this, but it's really good. Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> so that's been nice to like just kind of feel restorative, especially if I have a, a stacked day. But I kind of like go through my emails. I make sure I also email anxiety is so real. Some days I'm, I just put them off, but I try to have ad- admin days where I can focus and respond as I go. So they don't build up because if I'm away from my email for at least a week, I will have at least 200 emails and that is not fun to go through. Mm. Yes, that's real. So, <laughs> so I email admin stuff, like I'll go through any contracts that I have and get them signed and sent over. I send out any, cause I always collect uh, deposits or I have like regular income where I'll have to give bills and stuff. So I'll, I'll send in my invoices. Then that's like the business side of things. Then some days I like to blog in the mornings, especially if I work too much the past day. So I'll just be writing my memoir, uh, which is a little passion project I have going on. And so I'll spend time either doing that. This morning I spent embroidering. So I've been like trying to get back to traditional art Mm -hmm. because I want to spend less time on my computer. Yes, I've been wanting to paint more. But so in the coming days, I'll get back to painting. So, yeah, I think I like to play as much as I work with even my art because it's like my passion and my job. But traditional is where I'm steering So I like being able to balance that throughout the day. Then I'll work on like a project here or there. I've usually got several going on. Some days I'm like, I'm not working on this project or I'll have to prioritize which one like, okay, they need this one urgently or this deadline 
or this subtask deadline is due this day. So that's how I organize my my tasks. And then I try to not work into the evening and then I unwind with some anime and food. <laughs> that's my that's what a day looks like for me. I love that you said I like to play as much as I work and that you kind of weave that into your workday. That's pretty cool. I, mm-hmm. I like that. That's a good way to I mean, I think it's a good way, one, to just get through the day. But then, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think it can be so easy to fall into that trap of just work, 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 because everything has to depend on you. And so incorporating Mm -hmm. those moments of play like that into the work is is a good strategy. Yes. And this is very new, too, because I was work, 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 work. And then I crash, 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 crash. So (laughs) now I'm like, okay, I have to make sure I am like relaxing. I want to bring back yoga and meditation into my routine because I also was doing that because self-care is just so important. And I think, yeah, that's what I'm trying to stress as much as I'm trying to make money. I'm good. Like, I think that's also important to have financial literacy when you're you're in these spaces and to be able to save and not worry about going check to check. And that's where I'm like, you know what? I've worked hard enough to be like, I can relax. It's going to be okay. That's a good place to be. Yeah. It takes time. And I think everyone can get there, but even if you are living check to check, still put like a few bucks aside to like get some, like the facial from Walgreens, one of those things to just, (laughs) do the mini i love doing like those like really like home care days i'll like put my feet in like some epsom salt or whatever and soak so you can do it in a very affordable way too so i I suggest that as well i like that i first heard about you about a year or so ago from youtube i think i told you this before we started recording i was randomly watching videos i was letting the the youtube algorithm guide what i watch next and I ended up on this, I guess the best way to describe it would be maybe an anime discussion channel, not necessarily review, but okay, more like yeah. discussion, yeah. Uh, this anime discussion channel called Beyond the Bot. Can you talk about like how you became a part of that? Sure. Um, actually, it goes back to my history at Frederator. We actually got laid off during the pandemic too, which, I mean, it happened to a bunch of different companies. It w- I have no you know, the disclaimer, like there's no shade, like I wouldn't be the designer I am today without that company. I have much respect for Frederator, but we just couldn't afford to keep all of us on after we the pandemic hit. If it didn't hit, we probably would still be there, to be honest with you. But that crew wanted to keep a channel that we started at Frederator called Get in the Robot. And so that had to pause production because we had lost our jobs. And so we evolved it. Yes. I watched it in the robot. I didn't know that was the, that was the succession. Look at that. (laughs) Right. There we go. Full circle. Full circle. We get there. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So we just evolved it to the next stage with uh, Beyond the Bot. We did it completely independent. We were crowdfunded. We had a lot of like really great opportunities to us. And then they were like, all right, come on board. Because we we literally took the whole old team from Frederator and just started this because we were we just needed extra work and the fans were helping us pay and keep keep it alive. We got a couple like hundred bucks a month working on it and we just kept the joy alive because that channel meant a lot to us. Like getting the robot and then beyond the bot was like a new baby that that kind of helped us do be able to do even more than we wanted to do without corporate constraints. I mean, for people that want to check it out, you should really like go to YouTube, search mm-hmm. for it. If you're into anime, and I wouldn't even say just like modern anime like my hero academia or whatever because like y'all have talked about stuff with like sailor moon and dragon Ball Z and stuff if you're if you're an anime fan of any stripe definitely check it out nice we do deep cuts like did we do i think we did a neon evangelion genesis video we've done like a card captor sakura video so like even the ones you've never heard of we were talking about that stuff nice what are the what are like the best types of of clients for you to work with? I mean, I know you've worked with you mentioned Frederator is a place that you've worked at before, mm-hmm. but 
and we'll you know kind of go through the rest of your your work history but you've worked for sure. some publications and other publishing studios what are the best types of clients for foxy design though mm, i love working with youtubers YouTubers are where it's at because everybody mm. is getting on that. I'm even trying to get on YouTube. I would love to be able to like be like, come follow me at Foxy. But just, I mean, you could follow. Content will come this year, I promise. But <laughs> yes, I love the YouTube space. That's kind of what Frederator did too. We were kind of cornering the mark, or they were the kind of the first people really doing what they're doing on YouTube. And a lot of these clients that have reached out to me are like, oh, I'm inspired by getting the robot. I'm inspired by this. So we've kind of set like a domino effect of these new big YouTubers who focus on anime or cartoon industries or video games. Uh, well, there were other people like Markiplier, all those you know, different names, but YouTube is the place to be. And there's kind of a lot of not not so great branding on there. So I would like to save YouTubers. And that's also why VidCon is a great like space for me to speak at. I'm gonna, you know, I can't wait to connect with a lot of people who might need a new brand, need a, either a brand refresh, a re, a whole rebrand, or just a brand in general. But I think YouTube is a great spot because there's a lot of authentic personalities that the algorithm serves up authenticities. Like they love when you are. You are just yourself and you have a good niche and you just have a good hook. And if people have those good ideas and just need a good brand, then they're a great fit for me because I can help visualize that and kind of help build their brand on YouTube. So those are my ideal clients, but I've worked with musicians back when I was living in Buffalo, my first my first set of clients were like local rappers who like would charge like $50 album covers. So I'm like <laughs> the come, the come up is real. So I've worked with musicians, but I don't charge $50 for album covers anymore. <laughs> I think it's cool when you can do like, I'm all about indie. Like I listen to indie music. Like I love like indie films. So anything independent and not discovered by the world, it feels it just feels more special. Like, you know, like they're like you were one of the first few fans to like get access. So when you see someone blow up, you're like, you know, I was following them when Spotify didn't even exist, you know, like, yeah, it just feels like an achievement to be able to be in those spaces. So I think it's high honor, especially if you're a designer in those spaces to to work with those kind of artists who are doing their thing because it's solely based on passion. Like, of mm -hmm. course they want to be famous and they want money, but they are a hundred percent driven by passion and passionate clients. Those are my, I mean, ideal clients are just anybody with a dream and a lot of passion and, yeah. and money. <laughs> too. Yeah. There's so. a, uh, there's a, a guy, a design, I'm not design. Sorry. I had him on the show. Was it last year? I've been doing this for so long. I really have to think like, when did I interview this person? But it was last year, this guy, right, uh, right. Chris Burnett, who he started out doing like some designs for odd future. Like he was, oh he loved God, the music and like lucked into becoming their creative director for a while. Did work with Tyler and with so Frank and them. I'm like, wow. Like, uh, but, but like to be able to come in at that level, you know, whether it's a musician or right. like even with, with what you're talking about with like a, a YouTube channel or something like that, you know, to right. get in on the ground floor of like working with another passionate creative is right. Amazing. That's the best. It's the best. It's so good. Cause you, right. that energy is there. Like they're doing their thing. You're doing yep. your thing. It's, it's so good. It's so good. So good. Oh, <laughs> glad you agree. <laughs> let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. I know we've talked a lot about your work, sure. but let's talk more about you. Where did you uh, grow up? Me? Uh, I grew up in the Hudson Valley in New York. So a little town. I don't know if y'all know Fishgill. More like the Poughkeepsie area. I'm just throwing out different general terms because this is so specific. It's like the greater <laughs> greater New York City area. I know. I know people are like, some people are going to be like, what? And then other people are like, what the heck is that? It's near Beacon. <laughs> Beacon's also really nice. I don't know. It's the upstate New York area, kind of, but not really. 
it's very white, which is fine. I I mean, that experience made me very comfortable being in predominantly white spaces, which actually helped me out in corporate because it was in and college. Although my uh, college program, our class was there was actually a lot of there was a lot of diversity there, which is surprising because it was Buffalo. But anyway, yeah, I grew up in a predominantly white area in the suburbs and I lived there my oh, that's not true. I was a a baby in Mount Kisco, so I barely remember that. But remembering the growing up experience, I grew up in that other area that I ranted about that half of the people listening will probably not know. (laughs) When did you know that creating art was something you wanted to do for a living? Probably when I was five. (laughs) I was always drawing, especially during like when we hung out with the family. I was always curled up like on the couch, like just doodling. I still have my doodles. I have like a great archive. I'm I'm excited to go through it, like through recent revelations and deeper understanding of my work. But I have stuff from when I was really young still in my possession. Mm. But I always knew. Yeah, yeah. I'm an archivist. So I which is a fancy term for hoarder. But <laughs> <laughs> It's so worth it. I think having your old works is really important because it says a lot about the interest that shaped you as an artist. But yeah, I always knew. And I actually wanted to get into architecture briefly because I do love architecture, but I'm not good at math or maybe (laughs) I am, but I just didn't have good teachers. But the pressure it is to be an architect, mm -mm. I was like, I'm not going to build a house that could fall down. And me get sued? I don't think so. so <laughs> then I found graphic design, and that was a wrap. Now, you mentioned studying communication design. You started out at Dutchess Community College, and then you attended mm-hmm. uh, University of Buffalo. What were those experiences like? Like, Did they like really prepare you once you got out there in the world as a working designer? I would say yes and no. Dutchess... Like the community college, it was a great, great school for like saving money. I just wanted to save. Maybe I was a little not like ready to run, like jump the nest. That's my mom's theory, even though I'm like, no, mom, that it's probably not that. But she's usually right with her suspicions. So maybe. But <laughs> I went for free because uh, I graduated in like the top three percent of my high school. And but it felt like the 13th grade and me and one of my friends were really bored and we were just like, we have to get out of here. But like we got to do really fun programs like I got to learn fencing while I was there and did like a dance program. And so, yeah, which is I want to get back into fencing. Fencing was super fun. And like you look really cool. I love swords in video games. I'm always the person with the sword. That's my ideal weapon choice. Nice. Uh, (laughs) Just in case you guys were wondering. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) but yeah. They didn't. I didn't get to take really graphic design classes there. I took like a 2D and 3D design class and a photography class, which is like indirectly graphic design. But I had to like wait the next year to take a graphic design course. But I was already onto the university at Buffalo. And those courses, they were okay. I just, I thought the teacher I had was kind of pretentious. He was kind of a jerk and told me I couldn't get into uh, other schools, even though out of high school, I got into like RIT. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm here just because to save money for my family. So mm-hmm. you're wrong, but thanks. So that was like a crappy experience with that guy where I'm like, maybe you're just mad you're teaching and you want to be out in the field. I don't know. It was <laughs> not really about me, but it was a crappy experience to still have. But University at Buffalo is way better. I actually met two of my mentors that I'm still friends with today, John Jennings and Stacy Robinson. They together work as Black Kirby and they are like leading like the Afrofuturist kind of, they're just big names in the Afrofuturist space, especially in the comic book industry. And they just kind of took me under their wing like immediately when I met them. And that was the best thing I got out of UB especially and then also all my friends like I still keep in contact with all, a lot of my classmates we just kind of all stuck together and and like I, I had a friend reach out to me recently like hey we've always been fans of your work and like we always thought your stuff was next level I'm like me fans from school oh my gosh <laughs> thanks guys like 
So sweet. Wow. I I had John on the show a couple years ago. I want to oh, say I like did? 2017, 2018. Yeah, John's great. I mean, John, you mentioned his name. Right. And I think any Afrofuturist circle, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, Kindred. You know, we, exactly. we know John. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I've worked on like most of those projects he's worked on. So I, I actually helped color Kindred, too. Work. Nice. Um, I- I just wow. speak those things, you know, because I'm a very humble person. I don't go out reciting my resume, but I'm like, yeah, I worked on that, too. So nice. Yeah, he's dope. He's very cool to work with. He was the one I mentioned earlier who taught me don't leave like your network behind and bring them up with you. And always like he like he is trying to master the subcontract. And that's who I got that from. Nice. I like that a lot. I like that. What was your early career like once you graduated? Like, is that when you kind of started freelancing right alongside working? Yes, because my first job out of college was at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was a server. I couldn't get a job for the life of me because I was in Buffalo. And the industry there is very small. It's a very blue-collar town, like no shade to Buffalo, but design was not flourishing there. I'm not really sure how it is. I don't think it's flourishing now. You'd have to, like, work at, like, a doctor or, like, you know, a doctor's office or, like, some kind of establishment to really be a designer there. And I wanted to work at an agency or some kind of innovative company but I just couldn't get in. I like was behind on internships because I didn't take internships in school because I was I was kind of, I was kind of a lazy student. I'm gonna be honest with you. I slept during class all the time since high school. <laughs> I was a, I was a sleeper. I don't know. But so that was my bad. And instead, I decided to go into the restaurant industry and I made really great tips. And then that also encouraged me to freelance. And I mean, if I never served, then I would have never really focused on freelance work. And Foxy Design may not be what it is today because I didn't want a gap in my resume. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to really operate as like a freelancer. So I have this experience for when I'm ready to get into design. And so I did end up getting in two offers at internships, one at like a car dealership place, which I'm like, I'm not a big car person. So I'm like, It's not a great fit. And then the other was at a newspaper, which is really cool. It was called the Buffalo News. It's one of the biggest newspapers in the Western New York area. And they had like a medley of different clients that they would work with. So I thought that was a better fit than a car dealership. No shade. Like it was a great offer that she like it was the first time someone took me out and whined and dined me to be like, are you going to choose our internship i'm like for an internship for real like uh mm. no but thank you yeah <laughs> i mean not why she took me out to coffee and got me a snack or whatever but either way it was like <laughs> hilarious that she really wanted me to work there but i chose the newspaper instead and i worked in their digital ad department because they were still focusing on penny savers but my department was the smallest and newest and youngest and we worked on Facebook ads, like back in the day when you were only in the back end, like working on Facebook. And this was so back when it was so new that you could actually discriminate through it because you could choose to serve your ads to like like specific races. It was very interesting. Oh, yeah. I remember when uh, Facebook had that. Yeah. And, and I think it was some sort of like housing I forget what it was, how someone found out. I think it was because they were they were making ads that would discriminate against people for housing or something like that. But I remember yes, when you could do that, that with the ad manager. I, yes, and I witnessed that happen. Like they didn't the sales rep didn't allow it, but I was like the woman was on speakerphone asking, and I was just like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe she just asked if she could only serve this housing ad to white people. And it was just like the most baffling experience. And I was like, Wow, people really be doing that nowadays. still to this day so but that was a very interesting experience because it was very old school i had to dress up for work i had a retirement fund i was like what in the world so i experienced (laughs) like yeah i had a retirement fund that's how old school this place was so that was my early career it's very interesting very interesting Now, what was it like at uh, Frederator? Like, what did you learn from there? I know you said it kind of helped you 
now mm. in terms of, I guess, you know, process and such. But what was that experience like? Because Frederator, and, and we talked about this a bit before recording, but it feels like it serves a very specific type of demographic that mm-hmm. I don't know if it encompasses black women, black people in general, but probably specifically not black women. But like, what was your experience there? Like, what did you learn from there? Well, it's funny enough. I was one of the first three black people employed there. So (laughs) (laughs) it was two black guys and me. And one of them just, he's still there and just got promoted to president. So now he run in the place, which is amazing. And the, the first day he started, he said, I'm going to run this place. And I said, okay, that was me meeting him. I was like, sure. And then he did. And I'm like, of course he did. Of course he did. So (laughs) it's being run by a black person now, but it was a wild ride uh, because it was definitely predominantly white for decades, which I mean, it makes sense. The higher ups were all white. Like that's usually what happens, but that's why I was really, really like, grateful to my boss who gave me a chance because I needed to get out of Buffalo. And she, I threw like a friend or something, I was able to connect and she's like, I love your work. And then I got the job and I got to New York city split lickety split because I was ready to go. And it was just amazing to like have an opportunity to be in that space because it's so hard for us to get into design spaces for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the reason is because it's systematically designed like that, but that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, you know, we'll pro- we're partially <laughs> going to talk about it. But yes, it was kind of hard being there as any like predominantly white space, but they, for whatever reason, there was more and more minorities that kept flooding in. So at one point there was half minorities and half white people. And then there were less white people. I'm like, Ooh, they're getting scared. They're getting scared. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 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 It was so funny though, but we would joke about it, but I think I was able to navigate the space where I felt, let people feel comfortable talking about feeling uncomfortable Like I would be able to talk to like the one like half Hispanic, half like indigenous guy and the one Asian guy about like in high school when they used to give us really racist names. And we just this was water cooler talk. And I don't think anybody would ever have been able to have a safe water cooler space talk like that if it was only white people around. So just being able to I didn't really have an influence on company culture because I was the only designer there, too. So I was so tired mm. and busy. But the moments I had were really nice where I could just bond with people and we could just kind of talk straight with each other. I even like talk to some of the white white people about it because I've always had white friends who like just let me talk. And I'm like, if you just listen, I'm cool with you. You cool. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just hear my voice and I've had really real talks with some white folk and they're those are the ones to stick with the ones who aren't going to tell you how you're supposed to feel or about your experience and so I had a lot of those moments with some people there which was nice but design wise like it was YouTube I got to figure out how to brand YouTube I made extensive style guides like I'll make you a 50 page style guide or brand guide that you will use and share with the video editors because we had a huge freelance network too, some of whom I still keep in contact and using my own network now. So yeah, it was uh, the people I met there were worth it. The skills I gained there working on YouTube was worth it. But yeah, as a black woman, it wasn't always great. I didn't always feel like my voice was heard. I feel like I had a lot of good ideas and they would always be like, overshadowed and then sometimes every time the white guy said exactly what i said two weeks ago i'm like "Mm, of course Mm -hmm. of course now it's a brilliant idea and i don't know i don't want to think it's always intentional but you always feel a type of way you know where it's like is anybody listening to me yeah so yeah but still a good experience still a good experience like i again like it made me strong I had interns be like, because we went through a lot, like I was able to handle a really crazy work situation being only in a small team. And I'm like, I'm glad because it hardens you when you are responsible for a lot. Like it was too much. Like I definitely needed like another designer, but I run my own business now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Yeah. That's interesting. It hardens you. That's an interesting way to, to look at it. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent great terminology, but you do have to be, I mean, that's the strong black woman though. Unfortunately, that's the trope that we do have to play often. Well, this kind of, you know, leads into my, my next question, which is kind of about representation. You know, I mentioned to you before, and I've talked about this on the show too, when I have black illustrators or fine artists, like, do you feel a need to quote unquote represent with the work that you do? Not necessarily. I think obviously I'm going to go for the black female representation or even just a lot of women I've always drawn because it's just, I'm always going to go to the self first. It's an easy subject. It's like Frida Kahlo. She says, I know myself the best. That's why I'm my best subject. So that's why it's, and she's one of my favorite artists. That's why I quote her. That was not a direct quote, but anyway. And then also because I'm bisexual, I also like love how women look and it's so easy to like draw women. I always have to be like, oh crap, I haven't drawn a man in like months. I should probably (laughs) do that. Men are cool too, but like, dang, they're just, they're just not as, you know, I don't know. This is a je ne sais quoi, you know, but anyway. I love, uh, I think it's important specifically to represent the black woman in my work because I pull a lot from my feelings. So I make a lot of sense of what I'm feeling and what I'm going through through my illustration work. And because black women have to be hardened by society, I think being vulnerable in that way helps be like, hey, I'm still a person and I'm really sad or I'm really frustrated or I feel like I'm falling apart, which is why I do a lot of disembodied disconnected body parts like that's like kind of a a style I've developed and I've always been doing that for a while I think like maybe for 10 years that's kind of been the the art style where it's like just the head or the bust or a hand or an arm like so it just shows like this disconnect and just feeling really like outside of your body because there's so much going on you don't really know the feelings that you're that are kind of taking over you and you feel like you're just kind of fractured and I'm constantly breaking apart and putting myself back together to kind of make sense of myself, to reassemble myself like a, like a broken, like a stained glass mirror or yeah, stained glass window. Sorry. And so that's why I think when I try to represent the black woman, it means more because we aren't allowed to feel feelings like that. Yeah. Now you do a lot of work with like Afrofuturistic comics. You mentioned John mm-hmm. Jennings and you mentioned Kindred. You got a new project that's coming out in September uh, with Tanana yep. Reeve Du yep. and Stephen Barnes. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. We're now allowed to talk about it. I was pulled <laughs> up because I'm I was the colorist on the project, so I colored that whole bad boy. I had some help with my assistants. They were great. But yes, so this was, it's funny because I've been coloring with John since I was in college and every, I've been getting promotions with him. Like this was the first time I was the lead colorist. So oftentimes I'm an assistant colorist, like on, on Kindred, I was an assistant, but this time I got to be like the senior level colorist and I got to see the, the inks that Marco Finnegan did. He's incredible. He loves film noir that's why the shadows are really heavy. I always forget this name, the really intense contrast. It's the chur- Churiosco. Oh, uh, Churiosco. There we go. Churiosco. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I never get that right, but one day I will. So thank you for the assist. But it, it has that really beautiful effect. So it made my job easier because I was like, great, I got to do less shadows because you made this so exaggerated, but it was like beautiful. His inks were just so strong on their own. And then I got to just kind of take a look at them, understand the scene. I had to plot out the script to see how many days this story went over. Like, so it took place over seven days. It's about this little girl. She's eight. Uh, which fun fact was based on Marco's daughter, which is really cute. I love when you, again, you're using your your reality as your subject and that's what makes it realer. So, cause the expressions, I'm just like, this feels heartfelt. I'm like, well, it's if it's based on your daughter, I get it. So this little girl, she goes through a lot of death 
and she is kind of on her own after a while because her caretaker dies and then a monster is summoned to take care of her called the keeper and so it's like but there has to be a sacrifice to keep it alive because it needs life to keep it alive so it's a it's a beautiful horrific story it was funny because I was listening to a talk with Tanana Rivdu and she was talking a lot of black history or black stories they are horror they're horrific Mm -hmm. so it is uh it's technically a horror graphic novel and I think the demo is like around it's supposed to be young adult but I think it can skew higher because it reads really well. I highly recommend. Not just because I worked on it. It's it's good. We nailed it. <laughs> nice. We'll put a link to it in the show notes so people can pre-order Amazing. it cuz this will be this will be uh out yes. before this this comes out. Side note oh. and only because I'm a nerd there's a okay. you talked about chiaroscuro, and as soon as you said that, I was like, "There's a song by a British jazz singer named Zara McFarlane called Chiroscuro." So if anybody's listening, they want to check that out. It's a pretty good song. She's a good singer, I'm but that's a pretty good song. <laughs> How do you? Nice. I'm gonna be jamming to that after this uh, podcast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How do you get back your creativity when you're feeling uninspired? Like, do you have any? kind of methods that you go through or anything like that? I wish like my brain could shut off that I could really be uninspired, but I understand it's not necessarily like not being inspired, but the creative blocks, I guess, where it's like, I know I want to do this, but sometimes I don't know how. And so sometimes I guess going back to traditional media, just doodling mindlessly helps me going back to nature. Like, I was just going on a walk with my mom and she was so annoyed because I literally was stopping and picking the flowers because I mentioned wildflowers in a blog post. And so just kind of taking root of my surroundings, even if it's like a fire hydrant and the colors on that, because I'm a comic book, you know, I work in comic books. And so the background art, you think the things that you just pass by every day, we love, we put that in the background. So we're always studying the environment and so I think that's been a really good way to, I guess, push through creative blocks where I'm just like, let me just go outside and collect some some research and also just get in the fresh air. And I just want to hike more and just be I want to get back to nature because I think as we get back to nature and respect it more and like I want to raise more plants like I want that to help revitalize me when I'm feeling like you know, down with my creativity. Mm. It's funny, as as you said that about creativity, and even as you mentioned this about horror before, and have you been to Elba before? Is this going to be your first time visiting this summer? No, I used to go when I was a kid, but it's been a while. It's maybe been like over five years. So it's it's been a while. Okay. One thing I remember about Elba is that like it's flooded a few times, like at oh. least in my lifetime. It's with the river there. The town is flooded. I don't know. As you started talking about about that, I was thinking, what if there's like some interesting like Southern Gothic oh horror story of like this town that's been repeatedly flooded with people that can breathe underwater or something? I don't know. My mind is wandering I a little bit. I love <laughs> that. No, please. Because it's funny. We have this another piece of property and on it, there's like this little mini house and they call it the dollhouse. So I'm like, and it's near a lake. Mm. So I'm like, ooh, you might be onto something. We might, okay, we might have to talk, okay? We, we got to <laughs> talk about that little story over here. That sounds awesome. Do you have like a, a dream project or anything that you would love to do that you haven't done yet? <laughs> I am literally working on a dream graphic novel. So yes, <laughs> it's pretty much a, I have very vivid dreams because I'm very stressed out a lot. I guess, yeah, people would call them stress dreams, but I've started getting them again, but they've been hilarious. Like one dream, someone said that, like I was an X-Man and someone was like, your sister's a normie. And I I pimp slapped them because I was like, she's amazing. Don't you ever talk about my sister like that. These are the kind of weird dreams I have. So I recorded at least like 70 plus of these. And so that I've started organizing into a story because there has been a lot of through lines between all of these dreams where it's like there's like this underlying plot or there's this 
love interests or there's been and so it's been very interesting mapping out all these symbols because i also love dream symbolism and dream interpretation so i've used that as a resource for this story because it's literally writing itself i literally just have to go to bed and dream and that's part of the writing and now it's like tightening it up but then i'm paralleling it with my actual life to be like what is going on to in, like instigate these dreams and so it's biographical as well as a dream memoir so i'm pulling from my journal entries at the same point in time and i'm creating this beautiful like story that weaves in and out from reality and dream world and creating a narrative this is going to be like a a hybrid piece where it's graphic novel but there's going to be written prose and there's going to be like dream dictionary esque aspects of it. And I'm, this is, this is a passion project. I've already finished the beginning and like figured out the beginning and end. So I just, ha- I've just been working on it diligently and hopefully I am going to get this published maybe next year or the following year, given how much time I'm able to work on it with everything else going on. That sounds amazing. I'd love to read that once you have it, once it's, it's out there and ready. I'd love to read that. Absolutely. I will send you a link personally. (laughs) (laughs) What is the best advice that you've ever been given, like regarding your craft? Ooh, I guess reserving my passion for like my own projects, but I don't think that's actually the best advice because I'm so passionate about everything. I think just focusing more on myself though is important because I've always been worried about everyone else Not that I'm going to drop like the execution that I spend on projects, but I just need to be a little selfish nowadays. And there's nothing wrong with that because I, I mean, I've been, it's a balance between selflessness and selfishness, but with my work, like I want that dream to come true. I also want to have an exhibit. So if I want all these dreams to come true, I got to think about me. So I think that's probably the best advice, like balance letting myself get a little bored, recentering myself and just letting go a little bit. And that's, I think, what I need to continue to grow and not stagnate or burn myself out or give up on on this because I feel like I'm onto something, you know? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what kind of work do you want to be doing? I want to do more environmental design. I want to figure out how to do, like, like help the environment more. I'm not really sure. I'm still very new about sustainability. I do it in different ways. Like I don't have a car, so I don't add to the carbon footprint. Like I take the public, you know, public transportation. I like recycle plastic bags, you know, and use them as garbage bags. So there are little ways I do it, but I want to know how to build that into my business more. And I also want to like build interactive spaces for people to be able to enjoy separate from, well, hopefully including sustainability. But so I want to get more into like the museum exhibition space and just create like a new world that you walk into whenever you go to like a show or some kind of piece. I want to get out of the 2D space because I'm ready to, to graduate to 3D. I like that. That's good. Well, just to, you know, kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you, about your work and everything? Where can they find that online? Sure. I'm most active. Well, I'm actually not as active as I need to be, but I will be more active on Instagram. That's where I prefer to to post work. I'm also on Twitter. It's all Foxy Design, F-O-X-E-E design. And then I'll be on YouTube this year too. So those are my main platforms. And then you can find other links through there, but that's all I'll share for now. All right. Sounds good. Well, Alexandria Bachelor, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, I was familiar with your work, like I said, through YouTube and like watching the videos and being like, this is so really well done. Who is behind this? And then of course, now (laughs) being able to talk to you and really get the the passion and the fun and the energy and the vitality that you have behind your work. I'm excited to see what comes next. I mean, cause it sounds like you are, mm-hmm. are working across a lot of different spaces, doing a lot of just really cool stuff. 
I'm excited to see what your design future is going to hold. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Big, big thanks to Alexandria Bachelor, And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more information about Alexandria and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts provided by Brevity and Wit. This episode of Revision Path is also brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain name extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? Don't be a stranger. Of course, you can take our audience survey. There's a link to that in the show notes. But also talk to us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become and the further we can extend our reach to talk to black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.